0: Well, good day and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. Uh, my name's Matt. It's great you're watching. This ministry has been prepared for the 19th of March 2023. Friends, as we prepare, uh, let's hear this, these words of scripture from Psalm 84 Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow, a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Well, it's our prayer for ourselves that we will be people who ever sing God's praise also. And we do that as we begin our time now.
1: Praise to the
0: Well, as we begin in praise, reflecting on who God is, we pretty quickly then come to reflect on who we are and acknowledge our need of God. And so let me pray for ourselves as we come to listen to God's word now. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would grant that we who justly deserve to be punished for our sinful deeds may in your mercy and kindness be pardoned and restored through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, coming to God's word now, our readings begin in the Old Testament with 2 Chronicles chapter 20 verses 5 through to 13. And then our psalm for today is in Psalm 116 we're going verses 12 through through to 19. And finally our New Testament passage is in Acts chapter 12 and it's a whole chapter uh, through 1 through to verse 25. And so especially that last one, I encourage you pause the video be reading for yourself. Be reading with those you're watching with, and then we'll come back to think about the Acts reading together in a moment. Well, let's pray again as we come to think about God's word together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be guiding our hearts and minds. Lead us to hear you speak, and lead us to see what you are doing in our world, to have a heartfelt trust in you. Amen. Well, I wonder how you respond to bad news. Perhaps you're the kind of person who panics. Maybe you freeze. Maybe you start to blame. Maybe you go into problem-solving mode. Even. How do you respond to bad news? Uh, I remember where I was in twenty uh, in in two thousand and one, where I first heard about the uh, attacks on the twin towers. I remember how I felt listening to that. I remember early this year. Uh, where I was and, and the first news report I saw of the earthquakes in Syria and Turkey and that kind of gut-wrenching feel you have for those families, seeing on TV the devastation that's being caused there. Sometimes bad news is out there. It doesn't really affect us so much personally, but it still has some sort of effect. But sometimes it's also personal. Sometimes it's very real for us. And so a question worth wrestling with is, do we think God is in control in the bad times as well as in the good? I wonder what you think. Most people, most people in our community around us, what would they say to that? I think they'd say no. I think in most people's worldviews, the average punter has no place for God allowing allowing suffering as well as allowing good things to happen. And perhaps, perhaps that's where you are today. Maybe you're wrestling with something. Coming to struggling to come to grips with it. Whether you've got a personal relationship with Jesus or not, perhaps you're wondering how God can allow these things. Is he in control in these things? This is the question that Acts 12 pretty much takes head on. And so I invite you, come with me. Let's look at this together today. We're going to sit with this for the next little while and see that, well, what we see is that the, the early church here they're plunged into, times, into dark times. Terrible news has come to them. And we see their response. the response that is both positive and also negative. And so, if you haven't, open your Bibles back up again. Let's look at it together. And I think this question is worth rest- wrestling with. And we need to, because as we begin verses 1 and 2, we see, the first thing we see is that God has allowed the martyrdom of James, the Apostle. So, look with me at verse 1. It was about this time, we're continuing the story here, about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, right, son of Zebedee, put to death with the sword. And it's an awful thing, it really is. I mean, we don't see it so much for ourselves, but having your head severed from the rest of your body by a blade. It's an awful thing, and who's at the centre of it? It's King Herod, the same King Herod who had John the Baptist's head cut off, the same one who who uh, ridiculed and mocked Jesus before his his crucifixion. And here, he has James put to the sword. But if that's not bad enough, verse three, when he saw that when he saw this, met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Right. I wonder what, what do you reckon his plans are for Peter? Yep, probably the same thing. Now Peter and Peter and James these guys are, are two of Jesus's kind of inner circle of disciples when he was on earth and they here they are two of the prominent figures two of the, the, the top dogs of the early church if you will. And so seeing this hearing about this go on, how would you respond if you were one of the members of this church in the first century? Perhaps you'd be asking that question yourself. Is God even in control with all this stuff going on? Well, I want to make it very clear that the rest of this passage, it shouts out a resounding yes to that question. Followers of Jesus may be killed. They may even be put in chains. But God is not chained. However, we immediately see that this passage, passage kind of pushes against the assumption that many people have. Of god's plan in the christian's life so god doesn't promise each christian physical protection and prosperity in fact when we look at a biblical account of the of a disciple it's actually the opposite the prosperity gospel is a lie now what does paul say in 2 timothy 3 verse 12 he says evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived but right before that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. And that's what James and and Peter are experiencing right here in Acts 12. And so things look dark for the church. However, Luke, the author, he provides a ray of hope for the outcome. And you see that in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him now in verse 4 luke's gone into detail about the kind of arrangements to make sure peter is secure in prison what herod has done there but what we see in verses 6 down to 11 is our supernatural god at work so make no mistake god is in control he sends his angels in here to get peter the chains fall off the gates open up in front of them and they walk out together before all the guards and i mean You can picture that kind of being Peter, walking along, kind of looking over your shoulder at each occasion, being like, are these guys going to get up? Are they going to? Well, they don't. It feels almost like a scene out of Harry Potter, like with his invisibility cloak on, doesn't it? But no, it's way better than that. There's no invisibility cloak needed. This is our God powerfully at work. And we know that because... We know that it's God because Peter, here we read it, he's pretty groggy, right? He's half asleep. He needs to be told what to do at each step of the way. This isn't Peter's escape. This is God's deliverance. I'm seen verse 9. Peter thought that he was simply seeing a vision for most of it. And then, once he finally comes to his senses and realizes this is for real life, he says, verse 11, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. Right, Peter realises this is God's hand at work. Now imagine being King Herod, right? If you could see this, looking down from his palace, perhaps, if you could. Right, What do you reckon he'd be thinking? If you could see this all taking place? I reckon he'd be saying, God, you're cheating. Like, you can't use angels. No. This is God's world. We are limited. But our God is not. Now like the other times in Acts... We also need to remember that this is descriptive for us, not prescriptive, right? He's not telling us what will happen, but simply what happened in this particular occasion. And the point that God really clearly wants us to see here in his word is that he can't be held back by chains. Nor can his good news about Jesus be chained. No, God is in control. He is at work in our world. He always has been, and he always will be, to see his mission achieved and the glory of Jesus' name go out. And so God works through natural means. But as we see here, he also works through supernatural means. Now God is not chained. He's always in control. Do you think God was in control when his own son was spat on, flogged, abused? And hung on a cross to die he was wasn't he do you think that god is in control any less when terrible things happen around our world do you think he's in control any less when christians are being martyred or when we're having a hard time do you think that jesus or the gospel of jesus can be chained and restrained as our nation moves away from its kind of christian foundation point of ethics Do you think that God and his gospel can be chained by COVID, can be chained by a deficit church budget, can be chained by staff pressures or our own weaknesses? No, our God is not chained. We may have obstacles, but there are none before God. No one comes to achieving his will in his world or in the lives of his people. Now, we might ask reading this, why is it that God so obviously works kind of supernaturally in in this instance with Peter here? And the answer for us, it's it's back in verse 5. Peter's kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Which brings us to our second point. Our God hears and answers our prayers. He does, and we see that even the imperfect prayers of imperfect people are still effective. See, while well, verse 5 kind of upholds the church for being a praying church, what we see in verses 12 through to 17 is a bit of a comical scene, really. It shows us just how flawed they are. Verse 12, after Peter's released, he goes, as you'd expect, to the house of those that are praying for him, and he's he's knocking on the door. And then the, the servant girl, the, not servant girl, the girl, she comes out. And in her excitement, she forgets to let him in. Right? She goes back and the the people say, well, they refuse to believe that God has actually done this. And it is comical. Right? You can picture it. Peter's there. Hey, guys, come on. Come on, let me in. I'm here. The little girl comes along and, hey, guys, I think it's Peter. And the, the people say, hey, shh, quiet, you silly girl. We're praying that God will release him. Right? Do you see how ridiculous that scene is? And these are people who have been praying for Peter earnestly, praying that he would be released. But do you think that they believed that God would actually do it? Well, reading this, probably not. But in verse 16, when they did eventually open the door and let Peter in, they were astonished. Their prayers were answered, even though the prayers themselves found it unbelievable. Apparently God can also answer unbelieving prayer. And I wonder, is this our position sometimes, perhaps? Do we doubt that God will hear us? Do we doubt that he'll answer us? Do we doubt even in prayer itself? Maybe over the years you've, come, you've found you've stopped praying. But how does Acts 12 here encourage us as we come to think about prayer? Well, it reminds us that our prayers don't fall on deaf ears. Our God hears us. It reminds us that he is powerful to act. And it reminds us that he does answer prayer. And so we pray then, crying out to God, pouring out our souls to him, to the one who we have a relationship with, a relationship with through our union with Jesus, the one who died for us. And we do so letting our prayers be guided and shaped by his word and by his will. And if we were to take our cue from Acts, we would see that biblical prayer, it's usually spontaneous, but it can also be be carefully structurally formed as well, like prayers we often Say together in church as long as those structures don't become an obstacle for us of having actually a heart discussion with the one true and living god now prayers they they should involve petition and intercession just like we see here as the church prays for peter but they should also feature feature praise and adoration thanksgiving and confession right these are all parts of prayer and we pray simply not in obedience, but because we have a relationship with our God, our Heavenly Father. Right? You wouldn't not pray, you wouldn't not speak, rather, to your husband or your wife. Likewise, likewise we don't not pray to our Heavenly Father. And James, James 5 tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In other words, we pray and we do so knowing that God is ultimately sovereign and His will is unchanging, but the way that he chooses to realize that will is also determined on the prayers of his people, of his children. And so hear me say then, that prayer doesn't change God's mind, but God delights to change our circumstances in response to our prayers of faith. And you know what? He always answers our prayers. He does. Sometimes he answers our prayers with a no. Sometimes, he answers it by saying, wait. Sometimes he answers it with a yes, or even sometimes that yes isn't quite the way we expected it will, that it would be. Now, at the ordinations within our diocese earlier this year, our Bishop Rod, he had a wonderful little turn of phrase, and I'll share it with you. He said, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. That's beautiful. Does God delight to hear and answer the prayers of a praying church? You bet he does. Even when our prayers are sometimes wordless groans, or even when they're imperfect and sometimes unbelieving. Prayer is about relationship with God. And God is not bound by our imperfections. Because God loves to hear his people pray and is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or conceive and so here we see god answers the the church's intercessory prayers for peter and peter's brought, brought out of prison the prison that herod had him kind of contained within and so as this part of the story finishes up we come full circle and around back to uh, back to herod again and we find this big reversal in fortune it makes a really clear point a big reversal we're about to see by the way and the point is that our God reigns on his throne above all. Our God is not subject to any other power or authority they don't get in his road. In verse 18, as you can imagine, uh, there was quite a bit of commotion when Peter was found to be gone. Verse 19, we start to catch a glimpse of just how ruthless Herod is. Uh, Peter's gone, what happens to the guards? Put to the sword as well. And Now, if this were... A movie; uh, these final handful of, of verses kind of feel like, uh, like a final scene. Ma- ma- perhaps even after the credits, where all these kind of loose ends are, are tied up in the story. Now, for Herod, almost as if uh, killing James and trying to kill Peter is nothing for him, he he wanders off down to Caesarea. And in verse twenty, we see that he wasn't only having fun wreaking havoc in the early church, but he was also having fun wreaking havoc politically. In verse 20, we hear about two cities, Tyre and Sidon, right? They were important coastal cities. They were north of Israel, and they were dependent on Israel for food, right? For their grain supply. And it looks as though that Herod has cut things off for them, or at least made things difficult. And we get a picture here of a king at the height of his reign, at the height of his powers. It's a picture of a king who has other people subject to him. A king who can put his foot on the throat of anyone that he wants and squeeze them. That's what he's doing. But it's not just his actions. Even the way he looks makes him seem as one with authority. Look at verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And how do the people respond? Well, people who are desperate can sometimes do... Do anything to win favor and so they shouted verse 22 this is the voice of a god not a man do you reckon powerful king herod sitting there on his throne would have smiled at this point probably but he wouldn't also be the first king in the history of the world to to fancy being thought of thought of as a god himself So then how does the one true and living God think about this? Herod accepted praises due to God and verse 23, immediately the angel who who earlier struck Pedro awake now strikes Herod down dead. And ironically, this king Herod who denied food to the cities himself becomes food for worms. What a big reversal. And it's a reminder to us of who's really in charge. It's not Herod. It's not King Charles. It's not our Prime Minister. It's not whoever the the next Premier of the state will be. No, God is in charge. He's the one who sits on his throne and is not moved. And this little moment here is also a reminder to us that we have a God who set a day when he will come to judge the living and the dead. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Well, they're pretty stark words. But God's attitude to King Herod here is the same attitude he has towards all people because of our rebellion against him. And so this passage, it's a reminder for us to keep looking, to keep going to the cross. We need to look to Jesus to find mercy, forgiveness, and grace. In Jesus, we see the love of God so clearly. In him, we can have forgiveness and a new relationship with God right now. All right, No more condemnation, but being declared holy and righteous. And we have the assurance that Jesus' death is sufficient for us because he's now alive. He's now seated with the Father in heaven. And while it might be tempting to ask for us, how is it fair that Herod died here without being, being given a chance to, to repent? Well, the real question is, why does God not bring that same judgment on each of us? Because without Jesus, that is exactly what we deserve. The unfair thing isn't that Jesus, that God chooses to take Herod's life here in this particular instance. In fact, that's actually the fair thing that he does. Now the unfair thing is that he chooses to call anyone to himself to experience his grace. The unfair thing is that God chooses to save sinners as wretched as we are. And so seeing God's judgment played out in this kind of immediate way, it's actually a wonderful act of grace to us. It reminds us of our total need of and our total dependence on the Lord and Savior Jesus. And you notice the result of this rather spectacular and and somewhat comical reversal. What's the result? Verse 24. The God King was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. There are three different points in Acts where these words, uh, uh, this phrase kind of comes up. The word of God continued to spread. And at each point, there's a a particular trouble for the church. There's something that's threatening them, threatening to stop God's mission progress. But at each time, God is clearly guiding. God is clearly guarding his church so that his word will continue to increase and spread. Now in this story here, King Herod, he's worth a mention, but he's only a small blip on the radar. The author Luke virtually only mentions him in this story so that we can clearly say that nothing gets in the way of God's mission. Now in contrast to King Herod who who happily took the claim of people that he had the voice of a God. In contrast to that, the true word of God increased. The king is dead but God's word is alive and active. And so what do we do then when we hear bad news how do we respond to it personally how do we respond to bad news as a church well we start by acknowledging that god is always in control and that he's always working things out towards their good and proper end so that the name of jesus will be glorified in his world and in the lives of his people and so wouldn't it be wonderful then for our churches wherever you are If in a hundred years, they're able to look back in the history books and imagine they're able to see all the hard things we go through as a church. But this is what they read. In 2023, these were the struggles they were up against. But the church was earnestly praying to God. The following year, these were the obstacles in front of them. It looked impossible, but the church was earnestly praying to God. Friends, no matter what we face, no matter the shape of our imperfect prayers, Jesus is still risen. He is still in control. He is still seated on his heavenly throne, calling us to live faithful lives before him as we reflect on his mercy and grace that is so lavishly poured out on us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we have your word in front of us that we can see, and we can see what you are doing in the world, that there is no obstacle before you, that you are not chained, that you are not restrained, uh, that you use even our imperfect prayers to see your gospel furthered. Father, we pray that we would be people who are fervently praying like the early church, no matter what happens, that we be bringing all things to you in prayer. Help us not to be disbelieving, but be trusting you in these things. Father, please be working your will in our world. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Father, please bring your glory in this world, in our lives, we pray. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Well, let's go now to a time of praise. Acts 12, verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God. Uh, Let's be a people of prayer. In a moment, that blue screen will come up. Pause the video there. Be praying for things that are happening in our communities, in your lives, in our churches, and right around the world. Let's be people who are praying, committing things to God, not in disbelief, but trusting that He will work all things towards His glory. Uh, After we pray, Then we'll go to a final time of praise.
1: The day when he calls us home
0: finish somewhat appropriately with the prayer that paul uh, finishes ephesians 3 with now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen well friends have a great week we'll see you next time